Have you ever heard that phrase? I've seen enough. You've heard that phrase? Maybe, maybe as a parent, you go to your, your, you tell your kids to go clean the room, and you walk, and you're like, I've seen enough. You're grounded for the next week, right? You know, you've, you've seen that phrase. Uh, typically, you use that phrase when somebody is trying to sell you something. They're trying to convince you of something, and they're like, hey, here's all the reasons why, and you're like, I've seen enough. I I'm ready for it. I had this experience uh, earlier, uh, I guess this was last year. My wife and I, we celebrated 20 years uh, married in January. She has put up with me for a long time. And uh, this last fall, she had this idea of, what if we went on a trip to celebrate our 20th anniversary? And I was like, okay, well, maybe you could talk me into this. And so she, she goes online and, and pulls up this, this, this website to this hotel resort thing in Isla Mujeres, which is an island in Mexico. Okay, she shows, she pulls up this website, and she starts showing me the pictures, and the first picture is of a hammock on the white sand with a beach in front of you. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good, and the second picture was unlimited chips and guacamole, and I'm like, I've seen enough. I, I've seen, like, you had me sold at hammock and guacamole. Like, I was sold. I, I've seen, I, I'm ready, let's go. To some extent, isn't that how we make decisions? Right? Like we're looking maybe to go on a trip, or maybe there's a, a large item that we want to buy, so what do we do? We start researching it. We go onto Google and Google it. We talk to people. Hey, what do you know about this? We gather this information, and when we've seen enough, then we make this decision. I'm going for it. I'm not going to go for it. And it works the same way in relationships, when you've got close relationships. Like you, you have a new relationship with somebody, and you're like, all right, all right. I'm going to be in this friendship with you, and I'm going to watch you a little bit. I'm going to make sure you're trustworthy. I'm going to make sure I'm comfortable with you. And at some point when you've decided, I've seen enough, I'm going to allow that person to get a little bit closer to me, a little bit more real with me. When we've seen enough. That's kind of how we make decisions. And while it is true that we look at the evidence to make a decision, it doesn't matter how much we've seen because sometimes Actually, most of the times, our decisions require an element of faith, right? To, to some extent, even when we consider all the evidence, no guarantee that things are going to work out good. It requires a bit of evidence for us to go ahead and make the decision to believe or to buy or to go or whatever it happens to be. For example, for example, a number of years ago, my wife and I, we had two kids with, with one on the way. And, and maybe you dads know what I'm talking about. We had to make that dreaded decision to buy the minivan, right? You dads know, will you give in your man card and you buy the minivan? You, you, some of you are there. So we start doing all the research and uh, we're, we're looking at all these different cars, we're Googling, we're talking to people, and we made the decision that the vehicle for us was a Dodge Grand Caravan. Ah, that was a, that was a good vehicle for us. So we, we found one of those vans, and they had low miles. It was a newer model, and, and it was about the right price. And, and so we're like, all right, we've looked at all the evidence. Now we just basically have to say either we believe this car is going to be good for us, or we believe it's not going to be good for us. And by faith, you make that decision. And by faith, we made that decision. We bought that grand caravan, and it was a lemon. Man, that was one of those cars like, I don't know if you ever had one of those cars where like the Sela gap and the Union gap, as soon as you go outside of the gap, it's going to break down. That was our van. Like, like it was, it was, I think we put two transmissions in that thing. It just, oh man. Isn't that life though? Decisions, you look at the evidence, and then you, by faith, make a decision. I'm going to go for it. 
I think this is going to work out for me. I think it's not going to work out for me. It requires an element of faith when we make decisions. Based on that idea, though, based on this idea that when we make decisions, it's based on kind of we're looking at the evidence, we're trying to see if there's enough, and then we have this element of faith. Isn't it true that when we are wronged, when we're hurt, when somebody has violated us, when we're angry, isn't it true that when we're in that spot, it's much harder for us to believe something or to believe in someone? Right? When we've been violated or hurt, it's much harder for us to, to believe. Now, at times, this is wise. At times, this is good because it can protect you. But also, at times, let's just acknowledge some of us can be a little bit stubborn. We can dig our heels in a little bit. Because I'm wronged, I'm violated. So, again, an example. I have a number of group chats that I'm in with, with a number of pastors. And so, you know, we just talk about ministry and life and whatever else. And, and, and two years ago, when the whole COVID thing started, uh, me and some pastors are in this group chat. And we're kind of uh, uh, just discussing, like, the challenges facing the church, right? There was challenges facing church, trying to figure out how do we do church in, in a COVID world. And, and there was one Sunday where I piped in, and I just expressed, I, I, I lamented, lament, lamented, lamented, I lamented. Uh, man, there were, some, there were some technical issues that we had, and they were frustrating. And I'm just like, man, uh, man, like everything was going good, and then we had these technical issues, and I'm just, I'm frustrated by that. And one of my friends, in that text thread, he makes a comment, and it was rather critical. And I personally felt that comment was directed specifically towards me. And I got mad. I, I, got, I, I, got, I got ticked off. Like, I was, I was mad. And, and I think he recognized that maybe that wasn't perceived well. So he called and he said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I w wasn't directing that towards you. I was more just talking about the situation. And I'll be honest, because I was hurt, <laughs> I didn't even listen to his apology. Because I wanted to see more from him. I wanted him to beg for my forgiveness. I wanted, him to, I wanted him to go in the group chat and say, hey guys, I'm an idiot, Kevin's right. Like, I wanted to see more from him because I was hurt and because I was angry. Now, I recognize you came to church and you're hearing a pastor on stage talking about how he had a hard time forgiving a guy. I tell you, I had to wrestle through that. I had to repent of that. And uh, I'm still... A work in progress just like everyone in here today but that idea is there that when we're hurt or when we're angry we can exaggerate what we expect of other people in order for us to believe in them or to forgive them or to whatever it happens to be this morning we're continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago a series called Easter people where we're looking at people who have met the, the first people who met the resurrected Savior and it's been just a phenomenal series. I, I love seeing these different uh, people with their different stories and different angles of how the resurrection uh, was important to them. And I'll tell you, Easter, Easter's going to be great. I am so excited for Easter. Uh, I hope you're excited. I hope that you will plan on joining us here in a couple weeks. It's going to be phenomenal. We'll have a photo booth and, and, and donuts. So make sure you come to church early on Easter. We'll do some fun things to, together. And I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for us as a church. Again, we're new to this neighborhood. And so I'm excited for us to go and introduce ourselves to the neighbors. I'm excited to be able to say, hey, we have a gift for you. Uh, we bring value to you. We don't, we don't want anything up 
from you other than to introduce ourselves and invite you to Easter with us. I tell you, I'd love for you guys all to participate with us in doing that. We've got 300 uh, gifts we're going to give out, and so many hands make light work. So hope next week you can stick around for us for a few minutes and, and help us do that. But here in this series, we saw Mary Magdalene was the first one to meet the resurrected Savior. And she was rewarded for her faithfulness of continuing to show up. Last week, we saw the disciples, they're huddled in a room of, full of fear. They're afraid of what's going to happen next. And then Jesus appears to them. And the presence of Jesus brings them peace as they gather and peace as they scatter. But today, today we're looking at a guy that's called Doubting Thomas. We're looking at a guy that, that following the death of Jesus, he was confused, he was hurt, he's probably a little bit angry, he was feeling abandoned, and he digs into this disbelief after Jesus dies on the cross. In our text today, when Jesus appears to him, Jesus is going to appear to this doubter and going to teach us that Jesus has already given everything we need to see for us to believe in the power of the resurrection. So, jumping in, uh, throughout history, Christians have called Thomas Doubting Thomas. How many of you wish your name was like Thomas? Like, like this, like you make one dumb mistake and then forever you are enshrined by that. I mean, how many of you would love that? Oh, oh, well, uh, you know, Kevin's the guy who once uh, <laughs> had a number two accident running the bases in T-ball. Like, I would hate for that to be, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's just where my mind went. Probably one of my most embarrassing moments that I just shared with all of you. Like, <laughs> I would hate for that to be, here's Kevin, the pooping pants kid. Goodness gracious, I need to look at some of the stuff before I talk. Man, like what's the worst thing that you did? How would you like to be defined forever by that? Because that's Thomas, his one mistake. But you know, Thomas, Thomas wasn't always a, a, a doubter. Thomas actually was a bold follower of Jesus. In fact, there's a story that I love in, in John chapter 11 uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus, who's one of his close friends, Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, come here. We're going to go to Judea. We're going to go to where Lazarus is, and I'm going to raise him from the dead. Now the disciples are like, hey, that's great, this whole resurrection thing, whatever. Okay, But Jesus, the last time you were in Judea, the authorities tried to kill you. And so they're thinking, Jesus, we don't want you to go to Judea because we don't want you to die. If you go, the authorities might arrest you and kill you. And the disciples are like, no, we're, we're afraid. And Jesus, he's fully intent on resurrecting Lazarus. So Jesus says, no, I'm going. And in John chapter 11, verse 16, here's what Thomas says. Thomas says, let's go so that we may die with him also. See, Thomas is like, hey, if Jesus is going to face death, like, I'm in. I'll go with you. The authorities arrest you. I'm with you, man. Like, like Thomas I, like, you see this, he's all in in his faith. Like, he is all in, willing to die with Jesus. And I think that's what leads him to this moment of doubt that we find him in. Again, Jesus is supposed to be his Savior. Jesus is supposed to be the King. He's the one to sit on the throne and, and make all things right for, for all of the people of God. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies. And you can picture Thomas thinking, What? 
no, Jesus, you're supposed to be the, you're supposed to be the king, Jesus. You're not supposed to, to die. Like, Jesus, I put my hope on the future, on you. I gave my life to you. And now you're dead. Can you imagine what Thomas is going through? Some hurt, some confusion, feelings of abandonment. Feelings like, what the heck, I gave my life to this and now it's over? See, it's possible. It's possible that at times, like, like we think, well, God, I've done so much for you. God, I've, I've done so much for you. I've, I've tried to do what you want me to do. I, I, I've, I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to follow you, Jesus. But then God zigs when we think he should have zagged. Or when we, ble- we believe by faith that the mountain's going to move and the mountain stays still. When we're trying to live a life for him and then a crisis comes. Sometimes it's at that moment when we're trying to follow God, trying to do what he does, and he doesn't do what we think he should do. Maybe it's at that moment that doubt creeps in a little bit. Well, God, I thought this. God, I'm confused. Like, I was doing this, I was following you, and and I thought this is where we're going, and now there's something totally different. And I think that is where we find Thomas. He's been bold in his faith, he's followed Jesus, and now things are different. He's like, I don't get this. And that's when the doubt creeps in. And here's our text. John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, Thomas, who was one of the twelve disciples, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Again, our story from last week is the disciples, they're gathered together. This is a good thing, they're gathered together. They're all suffering from some of this frustration, this confusion, like, what are we going to do? Jesus has died. And the disciples, they're gathered together. They're there to support one another. Say, we'll figure this out together. Like, we'll pray for one another. We'll, we'll get through this together. They're all there, except for Thomas. Where's Thomas? We don't know. He's gone. He's alone. He's not with them. And see, here's one of the things, is our absence from the people of God often fuels our doubt and our struggle. Right? Because when we're hurt and when we're struggling, like Thomas, man, Thomas does the exact opposite thing of what he should have done. He should have taken that pain. He should have taken those feelings of abandonment, those feelings of, of why, God? God, I don't understand this. He should have taken those things into the gathering, into the family of God. He should have said, guys, I don't get this. Help me understand this. Let's try and grasp this together. He should have brought that into the family of God. But instead, Thomas is off alone. And I think his absence only fueled his doubt. Continues in verse 25. It says, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and I place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Imagine this. Imagine you hear there's a party happening. Someone's throwing a party. And you're like, oh, I know I'm going to get an invite. I know I'm getting the invite. And you wait. And you're like, well, maybe, maybe the invite's still in the mail. Maybe it hasn't come yet. I'm waiting for my invite. And finally, after you wait long enough and you realize, I, I wasn't invited. At that point, sometimes we make a shift. And we're like, I don't even like parties anyways, right? You don't get the invite. You don't get the whatever it happens to be. And you're like, I didn't even want to go anyways. 
Like, I don't know exactly if that's how Thomas feels. But what I do know is that while Thomas is gone, Jesus appears to the disciples. He comforts them. He gives them hope. He gives them peace. And where's Thomas? He's still alone. He's still hurt. He's still confused. He's off on his own. And then the disciples come and say, hey, bro, guess what? We've seen Jesus. He's alive. And what is Thomas's response? He's stubborn, just like when you're, when you're not invited to the party. He says, well, I'm not going to believe. Dead men don't walk out of the grave. I don't care what you say. I don't believe, and I'm not going to believe unless I see his hands and I put my hand in his side. See him digging his heels in a little bit? Digging his heels in of, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I don't care if you say that. I need to see more if I'm going to believe. There's something beautiful in this passage. In verse 25, it says, The disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Again, you just got, I want you to put yourself in this story. Like, here's Thomas. Thomas is hurting, and he's struggling, and he's chosen to seclude himself from his friends. Nope, I'm not going to hang out with you guys. I'm not going to be with you. Thomas is, is doubting. He's refusing to believe his disciples, his friends. He's like, no, I'm not going to believe you. What do you, think his, what do you think those other disciples should do? Again, you've got, you've, got, you've got somebody who is turning their back on your faith, turning their back on you. What should the disciples do? They should be appalled. They should be like, Thomas, what kind of disciple are you? Like, you leave us? You don't, you don't trust us? Man, I can imagine those disciples saying, forget you, man. Forget you. I'm moving on. I'm, I'm, you can stay off on your own. But that's not what happens. Because in verse 25, what it says to the disciples, they told him, we've seen the Lord. In the original language, that told means there was a continual telling. It wasn't just, we told you once. No, they repeatedly went and said, hey, Thomas, guess what, bro? Jesus is alive. Like, he, he, he's alive. you got to believe this. you got to hear this news because it'll change your life. They continually told Thomas, continually told him, you got to believe. Jesus is alive. And not only that, verse 26 says, Eight days later, the disciples were gathered inside again. And who was with them? It says, Thomas was with them. See, not only do the disciples keep telling Thomas that Jesus is alive, but I think they kept inviting him to the gathering. They kept inviting him to the church. They kept inviting him to come together to, to talk about this, to figure this out together. Can you just imagine for a moment? Imagine what a church like that would be like where people were cared for and loved enough that even while people are struggling with doubt, with sin, with anger, with unbelief, imagine what it would be like to be in a church where we cared and loved about people enough that even while they're struggling, we still pursued them. We still said, I want you here. I want to wrestle through this together. You don't have to battle whatever you're battling alone. I want to do this together. 
Let's, let's, we want you to be a part of this, even though you don't have it all figured out, even though you're struggling. We want you here so you're not alone. Because that's exactly what the disciples did with Thomas. We're going to keep telling you Jesus is alive because we want you to believe and experience the power that comes with that. They want you to keep gathering with the people of God even though you're struggling, even though you're angry, even though they don't have it all figured out. And because of that, because they kept pursuing him, the end of verse 26 says, although the doors were locked, Jesus stood among them and he said, peace be with you. I want you to notice Jesus' words. Because if I'm Jesus, I'm coming in, I'm like, Thomas, you're an idiot. Thomas, what is wrong with you? I'm the Savior, like, you should know, like, 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 come on, Thomas, believe in me. But notice Jesus' words. He says, peace be with you. His first words to the skeptic, to the doubter, are not condemnation, they're not judgment. The words of grace and words of love. And here Thomas, Thomas had this encounter with a resurrected Savior because through his hurt, through struggling with doubt, through his anger, he had the humility to accept the invite from the disciples to gather again with the body even though he was struggling. And he gets to experience the miracle of the resurrection. Like how, how cool is that? So Jesus comes into the room. He says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas in verse 27, he said, put my finger here. See my hands. Place your hand in my side. Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, this is what you wanted, right? Thomas, Thomas, you said you're not going to believe. You're not going to remove all your doubts until you touch and feel. So Thomas, go for it. You can put your hands in my fingers. You can touch my side, whatever you need to do. Verse 28 says, but Thomas answered him and said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Notice the wording. Notice the wording. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? He didn't say, Thomas, have you believed because you touched me? Have you believed because you put your, your fingers in my, in, in my wounds? And suddenly now, something's different. Jesus says, have you seen, have you believed because you have seen me? No longer in this moment does Thomas feel the need to touch Jesus. No longer does he feel the need to touch him anymore. What's happened? He came in and said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch you. And he's never touched him, but now he says, I believe. What happened? See, I think Thomas realized that he had seen enough. He'd seen enough to believe. Jesus had showed him enough that Thomas could put his faith and believe in the resurrection. I mean, think about, think about all that Jesus had showed Thomas at this point. Like, remember, Thomas would have felt abandoned by God. He felt like, God, where are you? Like, you, Jesus died, and, and I don't know. And while Thomas felt that God was distant, remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, what you wanted was to touch me, so go ahead. Proving him, hey, remember when you thought I was distant? No, I was there. I heard what was going on in your head. I heard 
your request. He's saying, hey, Thomas, when you thought I was distant, I was actually there with you. I was present. He says, hey, hey, what about, what about those disciples? I showed you your friends. These are guys that have been dramatically changed because of the resurrection. They, 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 can't, they were all fearful in a room, huddled together, afraid of what's going to happen next. And now they're out telling everybody, Jesus is alive. They're out telling Thomas, you've got to come and gather with us. We've we got to believe in this because it's, it, it's, it's life-changing. At this point, Thomas has seen enough that he can believe. And that's his exclamation in verse 28. Verse 28, he says, my Lord, my God. I mean, here's doubting, Tom, here's doubting Thomas, the guy who doubted the resurrection. And here he speaks one of the most concise confessions and acts of worship throughout the entire New Testament. He says, Jesus, you're not just the God. You're not just the Lord. Jesus, you are my God and my Lord. That is him bowing himself to say, all right, Jesus, I serve you. I follow you. I bend my life to you. I bow my knee to you. Where you go, I'll go. What you want, I'll do. And there's this last phrase in verse 29, where Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, I don't think these words are directed towards Thomas. I think these words are directed to you and I. You see, after the disciples after their life, the future believers, the future Christians, they couldn't physically see the wounds of Jesus. They didn't get to physically see the resurrected body. No, all future believers simply got to read Scripture, read the Word of God, and read about uh, uh, and hear the testimonies of disciples and Christians who have believed. Jesus is saying there's a special blessing there's a special blessing for those who choose to believe by faith. You know what that tells me? This is what it tells me. That through the faith of Thomas, you and I have enough to see, to believe. Through the faith of Thomas and the other disciples, you and I have enough to see that we can fully believe in the power of the resurrection. Because when we read scripture, we read about Thomas and how his life was dramatically changed. We read about Mary Magdalene and how her life was changed. And how the disciples, how they're guys who can't get it right before the resurrection. And then Jesus appears to them and they go boldly and proclaim the gospel. And all die as martyrs for their faith. And history confirms those disciples, their lives were dramatically transformed. Why? Because of the resurrection. And we read that. There's enough for us to see in that, to believe that the resurrection is real. And not only that, over the past 2,000 years, we get to hear the testimony of millions and millions of Christians whose lives have been transformed and set free and redeemed because of Jesus. And what Jesus said is because of that. Because of the scriptures and the testimony of other believers, there's enough for us to see to believe in the power of the resurrection. 
that we can have strength and power over our doubts. And by faith, because there's enough for us to see, we can choose to believe by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 defines faith as this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Thomas, I love his story. A guy who gave his entire life to follow Jesus, willing to die. And again, just put yourself in issues and imagine the crushing disappointment that he experienced when Jesus died and how his hope for the future was lost. And that hurt and that pain led him to doubt. And rather than leaning into the family of God, Thomas removes himself and, and further, uh, further fuels that doubt. And rather than seeing the evidence from th that the disciples are telling him about, he was bold in his defiance and said, I won't believe unless I can touch his wounds. And through that, Jesus in love revealed himself to Thomas. He shows Thomas and said, listen, even when you felt I, w I was far away, I was close. I was present. And rather than giving Thomas a harsh word, Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. He offers Thomas hope. And then he says, blessed are those who, who do not see but still believe. So this summary today, this passage is teaching us that God has given us everything we need to see for us to believe in the power of the resurrection. Do you recognize that God has given everything that you and I need to see to believe in the resurrection, to believe in Jesus? He's given it to us. The question is, will we respond by faith to believe or disbelieve? Because both responses are by faith. So here's, here's what this passage, here's what Thomas is teaching us this morning. Here's what we learned from Thomas. Number one, we need to seek God even with our doubt. You see, God's not afraid of, of our doubt. God's not disappointed in our doubt. We think that we, you know, we think God's afraid of hard questions. We're, uh, they're not a say, I can't ask those questions at church. Listen, God's not afraid of hard questions. He's not afraid of difficult conversations. If you're struggling in life, if you're struggling with, with, with doubt, listen, that does not disqualify you from a relationship with God. Do you, do, you, do you realize that doesn't disqualify you? I mean, if anything, when we look at the story, we see the, the heart of God for people like Thomas. That even though they're struggling, even though they're struggling with doubt, you see a compassionate heart. Where Jesus doesn't come in and say, you idiot. He comes in and says, peace. Let me extend love and grace to you. He, he meets Thomas where he is. Thomas, you thought you were alone, but I was with you. You wanted to touch me? Go for it. Thomas, Jesus meets him where he is. Same thing applies for us. We come in with our doubts and our struggles. God's not afraid of that. See, too long, too long we've had this idea that, that a good Christian is somebody who has it all together. They've got everything figured out. They don't doubt. They don't struggle. They just have it all together. And I'll tell you what, man, the church and us Christians, we've propagated that lie for a long time. 
you're a good Christian, you have it all together, you don't doubt, you don't struggle. Man, this, this, this is a lie from Satan. Listen, God's not afraid of your struggle. He's not afraid of the hard questions and the doubt. The question is, the question is, what will you do with it? Will you allow that doubt and that struggle to displace you from the people of God? Which only fuels that struggle and fuels that doubt. Or will you look what Scripture says to us? See, Scripture says in James 1, Scripture says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. Scripture says in James 4, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Scripture says in Jeremiah 29, when you seek me, you will find me. See, when we've got those those struggles and and those doubts, the question is, what are we going to do with it? Because when we give God the space and the opportunity to work, that is when God comes in just like he did to Thomas and says, let me reveal myself to you. Let me reveal myself to you. I'll answer your stuff and I'll show myself to you. Listen, you may not get all of your question answered because Jesus isn't just a genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way, he'll give you whatever you want. But I will say this, when you are seeking God, when you seek God, he is faithful to reveal himself to you. He's faithful to give you what you need to believe in him by faith. Number one, we need to seek God even with our doubts. Number two, I invite you to help us create a place where it's okay to not be okay. Again, I love the story of Thomas. I love, I love the fact that he's struggling with doubt. And then Jesus reveals himself to him and he moves to faith and belief. I love that. But as I read this story this week, I kept coming back to how the disciples treated Thomas. Thomas was a doubter. Thomas was a backslider. Thomas was a kid in the youth group who's going down the wrong path that you're like, I don't want my kid around you. Thomas was not living for the Lord. There's all sorts of ways for us to describe Thomas. But the disciples, they so believed in the power of the resurrection to change lives. Because they loved Thomas, they kept telling him, Jesus is alive. They kept inviting him back to church, back to the body of Christ, to to the gathering. In fact, historians say that Thomas traveled to Iran and India proclaiming the grace of God, telling other people Jesus is alive, planting churches. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if disciples did not keep coming back to Thomas? Do you imagine if they gave up on him? How would that have affected the growth of the early church? How would that impact Christianity today? If Thomas didn't go and proclaim, if the disciples stopped inviting him, and he stayed in his unbelief. I mean, here we are in Easter. Let me ask you this question. Who is it in your life that is struggling? Maybe with some doubt, maybe with some sin, maybe with some stuff. Who is it in your life that is not in church? Let me ask you this way. Who is it that, like the disciples, you need to keep inviting? You need to keep going back and say, listen, Jesus is alive. Jesus is the answer. 
Who is it that you need to go back? Well, I've already, I've already done that. I already invited them to church, and they said no. Hey, listen, the example I see from the disciples is they kept going back. And guess what? When Thomas came, when Thomas humbled himself and said, all right, I'll come, guess who revealed himself to him? And whose life was changed because of that invitation. In fact, I think about next week as we have the opportunity to go around this neighborhood and, and give some gifts and invite people to Easter. You ever thought that perhaps? Perhaps, perhaps we might go to the next Thomas. And they might come in with their doubt and their struggle. And might see, man, there's enough for me to place my faith in Jesus. And that person might be like Thomas going to India or Iran or across the globe proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The question is, will we keep inviting? Will we keep telling people Jesus is alive? Lessons from Thomas. Number one, seek God even with our doubt. Number two, help us create a culture where it's okay to not be okay. And number three, by faith proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and your God. I mean, Thomas made this powerful proclamation. My Lord and my God. That was a decision by faith. A decision by faith to believe and trust in the power of the resurrection. This is a story of Christianity. That God, the, the creator of the universe, in the midst of a broken world, as a midst of you and I, of our families, our people, our community struggling with suffering and hardship and sin, that God had a plan to reconcile all things to himself. And that plan includes you and me and our family and our community and our church. That plan involves sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to the cross to take our sin upon himself to pay our penalty of death to die in our place and then rise from the grave conquering Satan and sin and death and hell and that Jesus who died is alive today ruling as a king forever at the right hand of God that's where he is interceding on our behalf listen if you're here with questions if you're here, here with, with hurt and pain and struggle listen I can't promise that Jesus is magically going to make everything better but I can say that if, like Thomas, you choose to believe and to proclaim from your heart that Jesus is my Lord and my God, I can promise you that he will forgive you. He, he will flood your life. He will give you the peace and the joy that you've always longed for. And I can promise you that if you proclaim by faith, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. That he'll give you a peace that you can never imagine. A peace that passes all understanding. Give you purpose and joy like you can't imagine. So I invite you this morning, by faith, to proclaim Jesus as your Lord and your God. Let's pray.